I just went for the essence and the look, uh, which is probably why I would be casting director. <laughs> Absolute A-list lineup of, of henchmen as well. Stop chasing all the honeys all the time, right? <laughs> and just save the world. <laughs> you can't quite take your eyes off her when she's on the screen. Unfortunately, I misjudged you. You are just a stupid podcast whose luck has run out. Hello, and welcome to the Build A Bond podcast. My name's Stuart Morrison, and please welcome my co-host. He's been known to keep his tip up. It's Fraser MacArthur. I've been known to keep my tip up. Yes, I believe it's a joke about fencing. Oh, right, good. Yes. Uh, great Dr. No reference, by the way. Did you like that? I did like that, yeah. That's a great line. That's one of my favorite lines from the series. I believe you're just a stupid policeman whose luck has run out. Stupid policeman. That's such a great put down, isn't it? Yeah. How are you doing anyway, Sure, Are you well? Yes, I'm very good, thank you. I'm excited again for another episode. Um, mm. how, are you, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. Um, it was a bit sad today to hear the death of Tanya Roberts, who was Stacey Sutton in A View to a Kill. Yeah, um, really sad news. I think we've, we've talked about A View to a Kill before, one of the films that we both really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, she got a bit of stick for that role, I think, um, and playing alongside Roger Moore's somewhat older Bond. But it actually, it earned her a, a golden raspberry as well, that, uh, that role. Oh, well, um, I suppose uh, <laughs> she got something out of it, at least. Yeah, every cloud day. Yeah. yeah. But like looking at the, the tributes and stuff that have been coming in for her, it looks like that she was a sort of universally loved actor. So sad to see her pass away today. Yeah, really sad news. It's been um, over the last few years, you know, a lot of people who've been involved in, in the classic Bonds have unfortunately passed away. But um, I suppose it, in one way it demonstrates the longevity of the series that um, it's, it's going on beyond even the, the lifetimes of those who were involved in, in the very first ones. You know, you know how much I love James Bond films, Stuart. And I know yeah. how much you love James Bond films. Absolutely. Aside from Bond himself, one of the most memorable things I think about these films are the villains. Yeah. And I was thinking about, you know, what are my favourite villains over the series? And there's quite a few that really do stand out and that really make brilliant characters and brilliant, scary and, yeah, sometimes cheesy, okay, but fun villains. I mean, do you, do you think similar things? Have you got a favourite? or? Yeah, I sometimes think, alongside Bond, the villains sometimes are the most memorable characters, even, like, the most memorable part of a whole Bond film. I think there's a formula for a good Bond villain. Some of the best ones, anyway, they've got to be smart. You know, probably even smarter than Bond, I think, sometimes. Um, they've got to be scary, I think. They've, mm. got to, they've got to be the type of character that if they're alone with Bond, you're really fearing for, for Bond's life. I think they need to have a good lair as well, you know, somewhere to come up with their evil scheme. Doesn't always have to be super over the top, but, it, but it's got to be creative, definitely. Yeah, you could just have one of the more subtle ones, like inside a volcano. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I also think the most important thing for a Bond villain is to be able to reveal their entire plan within five minutes of meeting Bond. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why did he do that? No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I think based on that formula, I think my, the ones that, that always stick with me, and I think you'll agree, is Dr. No, I think, fits that perfectly. He is a scary guy. He is super smart. And also, 
within you know the first moments of meeting Bond, he's already talked him through his entire plan, and he's got a cool layer as well. I also think Silva from Skyfall is mm. one of my favorites as well, especially of the of the more recent Bonds. He's definitely the most intimidating, definitely the most sort of clever and scheming. I think he's played so brilliantly by Javier Bardem. On the flip side, I also love a ridiculous Bond villain. Yeah. And uh, the ones that stick out to me are The Spy You Love Me and Carl Stromberg. Oh, yeah. Mad. And then straight after that with Moonraker as well and, and Hugo Drax. Those are just two big, crazy characters with crazy plans. And, you know, only in a Bond film would you, would you get characters like that. Yeah. Remember Stromberg's thing was that he had, like, webbed fingers or something? That was what made him evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember in Diamonds Are Forever... Mr. Kidd and Mr. Wint. Yeah, the two really weird characters. Really weird, bizarre, kind of unnervingly calm and yeah. deadly, where they put like the scorpion down the guy's back and they mm. blow up the helicopter. They're quite terrifying when you think about them. Yeah, and they, and they would always have this little weird dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. They got their comeuppance at the end though, didn't they? They did, didn't they? Get, he got flipped over the side of a boat with a bomb in his hand or something. I think his bomb was not in his hand, it was somewhere else. Oh. <laughs> Before we start the episode, Stuart, I've got a wee quiz question for you. Oh, okay. Nervous. This one's, this one's not so much about the movies. The question is, there are four Ian Fleming James Bond book titles that have not yet been used as titles in the film series. What are they? Hmm. That is a very tough question. I will admit, I have never read any of the the Ian Fleming novels my knowledge of Bond comes exclusively from the movies can I have any clues it was pretty tough to be honest oh um one of them was going to be the title of the elusive third Timothy Dalton Bond film before Mm. it was scrapped that's a good clue hmm okay let me have a think and, and I'll get back to the end with my answers Okay, you keep thinking about that. In the meantime, we're going to welcome on a guest to the podcast to deliver their dream Bond film from the actor that plays Bond to the co-star, love interest, Bond girl role, the villain. And then they're also going to pick a director and someone to sing the theme song as well. That could be wild and wonderful. And the thing is that there's no rules with this. There's no limits. It could be anyone alive or dead at any point in their career and we'll see the kind of film that they come out with. That's the the plan. That's what we're going to talk through with our guests. As you say, there are no rules. If they want to come up with plot lines with any additional characters, we get a little insight into what they think makes an ideal Bond film. Let's welcome in our guest and I hope you enjoy the episode. I am really, really excited to have our guest on the show today. Um, we, we met back in 2017 when we both made our debuts working on one of the BBC's most watched daytime shows, Antiques Road Trip, where she remains one of the show's most loved antiques experts. She's since gone on to appear on Bargain Hunt and become a social media sensation during lockdown 2020 with her own interactive music strand. I'm so pleased that she's agreed to come on to the podcast with us and I can't wait to hear her picks. Please welcome Rue Irvin. <laughs> Thank you. Can I say that was the loveliest intro I've ever had. Thank you so much. Oh, good. But thank you for inviting me. This is such a cool thing to be part of. Great. It's, like I say, it's such a pleasure to have you. Um, and 
I remember having conversations with you about films and music. Do you know, I was gutted when, I think we only worked together for, what, a year or so? That's right, yeah. And I was gutted when you were leaving because you're, like, your character, your humour, your mind, because you love movies and music and all that kind of stuff, you were a real loss. Almost could have been all three of us who were stars of Antiques Road Trip. I very nearly made my TV debut on the show as well. When I was living in Reading, I came down yeah. to visit my good friend Fraser, who was filming yeah. in Fanny's Antiques. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, Stuart, go like, hang around in the background and we'll get you like, in the background of a shot or something. <laughs> and, and I thought, great, this is my big break. You know, next stop, Hollywood. Then when the episode came out, Fraser texted me and said, well, watch your episode. It's going to be on this week. Yeah. Watch the whole thing, start to finish. I'd been edited out. Oh, no. Maybe you would have taken the light away from everyone. You were just so outstanding. <laughs> you thought, no, this guy, we've got to edit him out. That, that must be it. I think you're right. So obviously you, you've now been doing Antiques Road Trip for three years. So how's it going? Two sides of my coin. I'm an absolute extrovert when I'm filming and socially, but I'm such an introvert when it comes to sitting at home, curled up with my cats and watching the rain. So um, I really enjoy that. But I've been filming from August right through to mid-December. So we finished off the Antiques Road Trip. Um, I also did eight bargain hunts too. So uh, it's, it's been a busy autumn winter, but yeah, I love it. It's, I think as each year goes by with the Antiques Road Trip, only now is it sinking in that I do it because it was a phone call like the blue. Uh, but still every day I feel like I have to pinch myself and say, am I really doing this? Yeah. Where, just, for, just for any listeners that may not know, whereabouts in the world are you? I am in Scotland. So a little village called Kilcreggan, about an hour from Glasgow, but we're sort of half an hour from Loch Lomond. So it's very picturesque. I'm looking out over the Clyde at the moment and I can see Arran, Danoon, Butte, uh, Gurak. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, we're close enough to the city, but it's, it's a really quiet little hub of tranquility. Well, as you know, we're, we're here to talk all things Bond. Mm-hmm. Are you a Bond fan? Do you, do you like the Bond films? <laughs> this is why this is such a fun podcast for me to do. I absolutely don't like Bond at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I appreciate the man and the concept that is Bond. And I'm almost like a, a perennial eye roller when it comes to Bond movies. It's like, oh, he's got the, the car, the car chases, the gadgets and the guns and the girls. Um, but I can't deny it's probably one of the most successful characters ever. So fair play. I think the very first movie I ever saw in a cinema was A View to a Kill, which would have made me, what, five or six years old? Wow. Uh, and I remember being blown away by it and thinking, wow, this is such a cool movie. And I remember the, the Eiffel Tower scene. That's the only scene I remember out of it. Uh, but since then, I don't think I've ever seen, don't even know if I've seen a Bond all the way through from start to finish. But I've seen lots of pieces of Bonds. And the one I remember growing up with is Pierce Brosnan. Which, you know, so I guess with my generation, he's the more familiar Bond. But I can't deny that probably Sean Connery was a quintessential Bond. So, I mean, it's, it, it's like two hours, an hour and a half of like perfection from start to finish. It's like well-oiled cinematic machine. I think it's, a, it's one of those things where even if, as you say, you're not a massive fan, you, you yeah. can't escape it. You, you, you know, it's, it's everywhere. And especially, yeah. like you say, whoever is Bond when you're growing up, you always have a soft spot for them. Absolutely. And I, I really admire what they've done with Bond since Daniel Craig came on board. I wasn't a fan of him at all. 
But what I like is they've taken it away from the highly polished, super sparkling, not a hair out of place Bond, like mm -hmm. Pierce Brosnan, to someone who's grittier and altogether a bit of a, a colder personality. You wouldn't want to get yeah. into a fight with him. You know, you wouldn't want to mess with him. He's quite steely. And uh, I like that. And I think the reason why I've never been a Bond fan is I'm a bit of an old soul. So I prefer to curl up with books and things like that. So Bond has never appealed to me. I prefer something a little bit darker, or a little bit more intriguing. Well, so that's maybe a bit of a clue as to the direction that your, your film perhaps is It is, it is. You won't be expecting it. <laughs> Great. With that in mind then, um, and with the fact that you're kind of going for a bit of a darker, more gritty Bond, perhaps. Yes. Talk us through your choice. Who's going to play James Bond? Right. Okay. I don't know if you know this actor, but the style of my Bond movie is definitely film noir. So the actor would be Joel Kinnaman. He was in The Killing, 2011, 2014. There were two cops. They were, they were investigating a, a series of grisly murders. It was quite dark but really, really good, almost Scandi in its style. So he's done a few other things. He was in Suicide Squad recently. He's not a huge name, but he's, he's definitely done quite a lot. He's got a big CV. Um, but what he does really well is in The Killing, he was very straight. He was a bit of a, you know, pretty guy with the tattoos and he, he talked the talk and a bit of a gangster wannabe. But actually, he can do the gentlemanly, well-groomed, bond, slick, handsome thing very well. But the fact that he, he does have that dark street side, I quite like the idea of this bond being able to walk into a really slick bar and fit right in, but also then be on the streets and be quite intimidating and menacing. So he's, I think the bond that can do both. Yeah, I think when you mentioned like, his ability to fit in in a, in a sleek bar or in a casino or something. I think in House of Cards, he plays a character sort of like that, who I think he's a, a senator or a presidential candidate. So he's always wearing his suit. He's always looking very sharp. But again, in that role as well, he has a bit of a dark side and, and he can turn at any moment. Yeah. So because I think his looks, the fact that he can do both, but he is, you know, quite, quite street as well, probably mm. lends him very well to those roles. He does have quite a menacing face, doesn't he? Yeah, mm. he, he does. He does. And I think that's, like I said about Daniel Craig, it's taking that one step further. Uh, Daniel Craig would never be street. You know, you can't mm. imagine him covered in tattoos and, you know, a pumping iron at the gym. But I think uh, moving on to Joel Kinnaman, I think he could do all the sides of Bond. Uh, Very interesting. Interesting that you've gone for an American actor. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm sure he could pull off the accent really well, but it's, I didn't even think about keeping it British, to be honest. I just went for the essence and the look, uh, which is probably why I wouldn't be a casting director. <laughs> well, this is your movie, so you yeah. can go as, as international as you like. Might be, might be spot on. Um, I never checked to see if he, he does accents well, but I think the look-wise, I think if he does, that would be a brilliant bond, I think. Yeah, and also it's, it is good, I think, to have someone who's not super well-known, you know? Yeah. It does have a good career and has done loads of great stuff already, but he's not a, a megastar already. Exactly. And, you know, people had said over the summer, you know, about Tom Hiddleston and Idris Elba and well-known faces like that. And you almost feel for them because if they're not going to get the role, it's just, it's just leading them up to have a great fall. So you're right in a way, it's almost time to let someone who really can shine and show that off. As, as well as the dark side you've mentioned, 
yeah. is your bond funny as well uh i have to see i have to admit i've only seen him in the killing and he certainly made an impression but i'm sure in some of his other roles he probably could be he was funny in that but in a very sort of street way and yeah like all right girlfriend that kind of thing but uh <laughs> i don't know how his humor extends outside of that <laughs> yeah i think it's the right the right kind of humor for bond and that sort of the the straight guy as you say is that he he delivers the punchline but at somebody else's expense maybe yeah exactly oh there, there's a couple of characters coming up that would bring the humor element that's for sure okay okay Joe Kinnaman's a really good age for it as well. I think he could last with, uh, as Bond for maybe like 10 years or something. Absolutely. He could, you could easily get a few Bonds out of him. Great. Well, Joe Kinnaman, that's a, that's a good choice. I think oh, I, when you first said it, I wasn't so convinced. But I think you've talked me around. Just Google his name, go to images, and you will see all the sides of Bond plus a dark. Yeah. I was... I'd only seen him in, in that House of Cards performance. So when you first said it, I wasn't really that sure. But the way you've talked about his other roles, in particular The Killing, now we get a chance to talk a little bit about some of the other roles. Right. The yeah, the, the next one up, I guess, is, is the co-star who's going to be alongside Bond. Uh, well, this is where it's different as well. So there is no... He works alone, so he's not... Uh, doesn't necessarily have a love interest. Um, but he is going to be the protege of a very elusive Robert De Niro. I love Robert De Niro. So he will occasionally, again in that dark way, he's going to be very much in the shadows. You won't see much of him, um, but he's going to be his protege. But like I said, he won't be in it much. It's all going to be about Bond and not about De Niro. Uh, okay. um, he very much works alone, is a bit of a lone wolf and a bit of a lost soul as well. So the only other main significant other, now you know Fraser, I'm a cat lover. Yeah. We have a couple of Maine Coons, but they are very much westernized Maine Coons. They eat kibble. Whereas Russian Maine Coons, they eat chickens and small animals. These things are beasts. They're like tigers. So well, he We were actually, had, just, hmm? a, just earlier on the call, when, you, when we were speaking to you, we did see one of your cats sort of prowling in the background. And oh, it, really? Oh, I miss oh, It did look like a scene out of Tiger King or something. It was enormous. Yeah, she's actually there asleep. I didn't even notice she was there. They're really wild looking. So he totally lives alone, a bit of a, a very slick bachelor pad, uh, modern. Uh, and he has this big, wild Russian Maine Coon that basically is his buddy when he comes home after a long day of doing adventures and stuff so that's his other significant other um as for love interests there's not necessarily one woman that's a keeper but someone like monica bellucci or the sort of italian femme fatale will maybe sort of come throughout now she's obviously quite a bit older but she's more you know she's very alluring um would be quite a bit older than him but that kind of look so she'd probably be, be in the film as well and they'd be trying to seduce him, but doesn't quite, you know, this bond is actually about the job at hand and not that many distractions. Sorry, no. Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> that actually works pretty well because funnily enough, and I know you've not, you've probably not seen the film, but Monica Bellucci was uh, a star of Spectre, which was oh, the last right. James Bond yeah. film. So you see, I mean, you know, with film noir, it's, it's the sort of darker, the sort of almost Italian look. So, yeah. uh, you know, that, that, you know, with little pops of color, you know, like the red lips and things like that. So 
she would be the main female that comes in and out, but uh, there might be a few other Italian type starlets, but it, he's very much, uh, he's in a different place. Kind of exactly as you describe, Inspector Monica Bellucci, I think she's at a funeral in the senior year, so she's all black and yeah. you know, it's really like, yeah, it is almost film noir She's a really mysterious character. Exactly. Uh, so she's, she's perfect for that. And because she is the older lady, mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's not a serious love interest, but there's definitely this pull between them. Yeah, I think she's, she's very good at, at doing that convincing chemistry and that sort of a bit of a magnetism. You can't quite take your eyes off her when she's on the screen. Yeah, she'd turn the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's it. There wouldn't be any other main co-star likes a bit of De Niro uh, as the sort of protege who's very much in the shadows and a bit of Monica Bellucci and this huge wild Maine Coon that's his companion basically mm. when he shuts the door at night and the world is out there and he's in there that's his his best buddy. It would be good to hear a little bit more this Robert De Niro character is quite intriguing is it a fellow spy, someone else at MI6? Well, it just, just I love Robert De Niro and Al Pacino as well. I mm -hmm. couldn't get him in the movie. It'd be too many big names that would maybe detract from Kinnaman. But I just see him as, yeah, like it, Joel is almost like, Bond is almost like a protege of De Niro. So he's, you don't quite know that much about Robert De Niro. You just know he's kind of taught him a lot of what he knows and that maybe the Bond had a grittier childhood growing up mm. and he was maybe part of that grittier Italian like mafia type style. Uh, okay. uh, so you don't get it all spelled spell out, but there's hints to uh, yeah. a world that he's left behind and now he's playing the clean cut Bond. I like that. Yeah. Um, and Bond's his kind of protege, as, as you said. Yeah. And... I mean, again, no hand holding sort of, you know, come on buddy, buddy, you got this. It's just very much, you know, that he's the only other character that he, it's almost like not like a father figure, but you know he's been through some, he's seen some scary stuff, and he maybe got him out of that. So I'm just thinking oh, okay. of a plot here, but that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, and he's maybe this Robert De Niro character is the only one who really knows about Bond's past and and that sort of thing. So he's kind of he wants to impress him, but he also wants to he doesn't want anyone else to know about this this gritty thing that happened in his past. Yeah, which is why he is such a lone wolf, really. He does yeah. his job, but when he comes home, then that's it. Yeah, yeah. And tell us a little bit more about this cat. I don't have a, a, an extensive knowledge about breeds of cat or, or types of cat. What is this Russian? Uh, well, it's, it's their main, main coon, so main as in American uh, main, so M-A-I-N-E. Uh, and there's a lot of them. They're, they're known as mountain cats. So they are the largest domestic breed. Uh, they're probably the most wildest breed, if you know what I mean, closest to like the lynx and, and the more wild cats. Um, they're very much a large, large breed and they're very wild looking, very, very, very long hair. And some of the pure, pure Maine Coons and like I said, I'm using Russia as an example, but there's a lot of them around the world that are fed live chickens and they are massive. I mean, some of them are probably almost as tall as a short person. Um, they're known for chasing dogs, but they're very regal and majestic. Um, I mean, you look at one of these, uh, the, the purebred ones, and you think that cannot be a real cat. That is like a painting. It is just, it's just from another world. 
it is the daddy of cats that you don't mess with either. And does she or he have a name? Oh, I haven't thought about that, actually. That's a good point. It might come up with me by the end of the podcast. But uh, okay. oh, yeah, that's, I'll need to think about that one, actually. Our two are called uh, Mango Chutney Irvin, and the other one is Kimchi Cherry Blossom Irvin, which is a bit too cutesy-cutesy, I think, for Bond. So it'll be, it'll be a male. It'll be a boy, because the boys are much, much bigger. I'm not like a Tiberius, but something, probably maybe something Roman, like a, one of the Roman warrior type names. Augustus oh, okay. or something. Yes, exactly. They live up to that name very well. Yeah, so. I was thinking, you know, generally associate the, the cats with the baddies in Bond, but this Maine Coon does sound like a very Bond pet to have. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, definitely not some cute little meowy pussycat. <laughs> If the cat belongs to the hero of the story, yeah, then let's move on to your villain. Uh huh. Right. Okay. Hmm. Now this I'm thinking is Stanley Tucci. Great. So, I was thinking I was stuck between Stanley Tucci or Lawrence Fox type thing. Okay. Who does the villain thing very well. But I would say Stanley Tucci because obviously he's in Fortitude and loads of other stuff. He does a family man thing very well, but he's also got such an expressive face that he, I think he'd be quite a disarming villain because he is so likable. I think he would really relish the villain role. I've always thought that if, I mean, I've never tried my hand at acting and I, well, I don't know, I might be either really good or absolutely horrendous. I don't think there'd be an in-between. Uh, but I've always thought I would love to be the villain because in real life, I'm the nicey, nicey one. Sorry, thank you, please. You know, I apologize to Doris for bumping into them. So I would <laughs> relish the fact. Lady Macbeth, she's one person I would love to play. And also one of my favorite mythological figures is Medusa. So I think a villain, I think he would really relish that role. It's just a lot more fun to play. And actually when he is quite serious, he can be quite uh, intimidating, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he, I've seen him in roles where he plays like a cop or, or something like that. And yeah, he can be pretty intimidating. Yeah, those, those big specs and whether they give him a beard or moustache or whatever. Uh, I think probably Stanley Tucci. Lawrence Fox, mm, oh, I, I'm going for some, no offence, but some real, you know, X factor element, something really quite different that they're going to bring to the mix. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, Stanley Tucci could definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, and I also like the idea of putting some of these people not necessarily at their comfort zones, but zones we know they can do, but letting them really get stuck in and show yeah. side to them. Yeah, I think I I would generally and. and you know, he has done loads of different stuff, but you do generally associate Stanley Tucci with a bit with, with much more likable characters. But I yeah. think exactly as you say, he would have a load of fun taking on a Bond villain. Ooh, I think like me, he would just love to actually play, be the bad guy for once. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, because he's so likable, he's quite disarming. Although I don't, I think unlike yourself, I don't think he would be up for Medusa for the lack of hair. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You might need a wig there. Yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned that he is quite likable. Would you have him starting off maybe like friendly with Bond? Like they don't realize he's the enemy to start with? I think that's probably a nice intro for him, actually. 
I think that's what people would be expecting of mm -hmm. him. The, the audience that knows him maybe don't know that he is the uh, the villain. So he's just in as the nice guy and his buddy or whatever. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think he definitely takes a more underhand route to get to Bond um, rather than just, you know, having his melt with teeth or I'm the baddie t-shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> you can always tell with them. I know, it's like they wear, they wear a badge on their coat. It's like, guys, stop taking it away. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier as well that you'd cast some henchmen. Yes, so the henchmen here, right? So it would be probably someone like Tim Roth. Uh, yes. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit of Gary Oldman. These henchmen aren't going to be running around too much. And I was chatting to my hubby about this yesterday. I said, oh, but you know, I initially thought Tim Roth, um, Gary Oldman and Christopher Walken. And hubby said, oh, Christopher Walken's too old now. I said, oh, no. But he said, actually, when you see the henchmen, they're never running around chasing anyone. Like Jaws with his, his metal teeth and things like that. They just happen to be there when the bad stuff happens. So yeah, probably Tim Roth, um, Gary Oldman, maybe Lawrence Fox, but you know what? I've just taken him back out of the fold. Am I having an all-American bond here? Have I like totally went? <laughs> well, Gary Oldman's English. Yeah. Okay, well that's fine and that's good. It's so, just Tim yeah, Roth. Yeah, of that ilk. But I, I love that genre of actors. I love De Niro, Al Pacino, um, People like Sean Penn, Tim Roth, Christopher Walken, even Rutger Hauer. People that are, you know, they're not your Brad Pitts and your George Clooney's. Mm. I find them dull, no offense to them. Um, but, you know, faces with character. Yeah. You know, you don't need it? to be symmetrical and perfection in the eyes of the world. And, you know, I just, I prefer a character over looks. So, um, yeah. I'm almost imagining that um, Robert De Niro and Tim Roth and Gary Oldman and Christopher Walken were part of some kind of syndicate or some kind of group of spies yes. or something together. Mm. And now, yeah. and now the, those guys are the enemies, or they're the, they're the villains. And Stanley Tucci as well, of course. Those guys are now the, the, the villains, and Robert De Niro's broken away to, to take yes. Bond under his wing. Yes, and the henchmen and, and Stanley Tucci have still remained 100% bad. Robert De Niro still has that side that you don't want to know about, but at the end of the day, he is a good guy. But where he needs to, he will do what he has to do behind yeah. closed doors. So yeah, that's a nice link. That's brilliant. All the well, threads yeah. weaving together. Yeah. yeah. Absolute A-list lineup of, of henchmen as well. I know, I know, it's good. And for the director, I thought it's definitely got to be, um, I mean, you've obviously got with the film noir, you've got Alfred Hitchcock and you've got um, David, I, I love like Stanley Kubrick, but I love David Lynch. I love surreal movies. Um, David Cronenberg's a bit probably extreme, but David Lynch is a good example of, you know, that kind of, am I dreaming this scene? Did that mm. really happen? Is the character dreaming? Is he living that? You know, and, and you know, film noir is all about the flashbacks and the sort of anti-heroes, you know, that kind of darkness. So I think probably, is it Frank Frank Miller that directed Sin City? Yes. So my vision is a Sin City. That's, that's, that's exactly how I see this. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how I see every character walking through the rain or, you know, staring at the window or doing whatever. And would you have it kind of as stylized as Sin City? I almost, I probably not 
Well, you know what? Why not? Why not? Yeah, it's your bond. You can do whatever you want. My bond. I I love that. I love the sheer escapism. And like I said, because I'm a really old soul, I can be quite melancholy, right? I mean, Fraser knows I'm just a, a sort of bubbly sort of tottering around. When people see me on the TV, tottering around with my bright pink heels and my yellow banana dress and you know, <laughs> big hats on. And But there is a side of me that's, uh, like I said, I love Medusa. When I was a teenager, I was just addicted to vampires. So I've got a gothic side to me. And I love books and movies that just draw you into this whole different world. I can picture it exactly, yeah, all those, the, the, the kind of older generation of henchmen that you mentioned, standing around in the rain, yes. think, thinking back to those, you know, horrible times before. Absolutely, yeah, well, that's good that you guys are picturing it. Then. With, with the with big cat padding around in the background. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, eating a mouse or a rat or something. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, totally, like you say, I can totally see that the, the Frank Miller influence, that would, you would, immerse yourself in that movie that's if you go and see that movie you're in it absolutely 100 percent, exactly it'd be all those threads would weave together as we've discussed but it would just be this perfect globe from start to finish that's just well there is no start finish it's just cyclical but it just it just leaves you wanting more you're kind of swept into that wave of it mm. but also as well as the kind of gritty gangstery sides that you talked about you know frank miller can do like action as well so if you think like 300 and stuff like that you can yeah exactly and real you know gritty but you're right i think i think he'd be perfect i mean that's again as a viewer it's just it blows your mind it's just breathtaking what what these you know directors are actually coming up with now and in terms of special effects and everything and in terms of i've i did think of a q and an m uh okay but this is where it gets slightly this is where the train could fall off the track (laughs) i was going to say you've been super confident about all your picks but you seem a little bit hesitant about your q and your m do you know, the more I'm talking about it and the more you guys are on board and you're adding bits to the plot and the characters, I'm thinking, wow, this is some really good stuff. Uh, and then I've got a couple of, uh, not red herrings, a couple of characters that, again, you wouldn't expect them to be in these roles. Um, but actually, it would bring out a side that they'd probably relish playing and, and hopefully nail it. So for a cue, right, so this is, I had to think about initially, who I admire as people, you know, you get asked who's your din- your ideal dinner party, you know, mm-hmm. who's your, your eight people, whatever. And it's always for me being like, obviously Bruce Springsteen, huge fan, Robert De Niro. I'd have Queen Victoria there because I love her as a woman, everything she's achieved. I'd have Graham Norton, which is where Q comes into it. No way. Graham Norton, he's going to be a more restrained him, but there's that bubbling camp dark humor but okay. it's not the lovable lovable graham norton that we know but it is that element of it's probably the only element out of the movie of like wow crikey this this you know it's the only element of humor i suppose that's not really dark but it would be done really subtly so this is not the graham norton we know um and actually his humor his darker humor won't lower the tone of the rest of the movie mm. it will be short sharp bursts when he's in it and then that's it you go back to whatever's going on he doesn't detract from it he did kind of start out as an actor is that right he was in like father ted and that sort of thing when he was a bit younger so he's got that he's got a bit of acting i also think he was in the eurovision film that was out 
last probably, year. Probably, yeah. But he's probably not so dark in that. He's probably no. <laughs> so I think he would be with him less is more. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, we don't want to just fizzle out all this really good darkness that we built up or this, this grittiness that we built up. So I think he would be short and sharp, quite cutting as well. Mm-hmm. So his, his cutting wit would come out even sharper. Yeah. Uh, and he wouldn't be in it huge amounts, but he, he could shine for the few moments that he's in there. Sometimes it's nice, isn't it? If, if you have the other film, like you've described, it's quite dark and, and quite sinister to have those little kind of flashes of, yeah, you, of humor. Yeah, you need a couple of uh, roles where the audience are like, wow, that's surprising, but mm. hey, it works. And whether it's, you know, taking someone who's very sort of camp humor to someone that's uh, a very serious role, I mean, look at uh, Tom Cruise in Interview of the Vampire. Everyone before that even came out slated him saying, come on, there's no way Tom Cruise, Top Gun action hero is going to play Lestat. And he totally pulled it off. And I like the idea of people surprising the audience with the roles that they take on. And, and you guys could probably, as film buffs, name 10 more where you thought, wow, I was not expecting that. Well, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I think I think that's a brilliant choice. Really? Yeah. That means a lot coming from you guys because I know that you're you're all into the movies and stuff. But you see it. I do see it. And do you know what I like about it is that I have to work a little bit to see it. Yes. And when I and when you do see it, it pays off. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, it's not gonna be going down the Graham Norton route where he invents a, ha- a hairdryer that's a flamethrower, you know. It's not going to be like <laughs> Bond is never going to carry a hairdryer on him. <laughs> Wait, hold on. That is actually a really good idea. Yeah, write that, write that one down. <laughs> He's got that wryness to him. Yeah, a bit sarcastic as well. Yeah, very cutting. So mm-hmm. he'd, he'd probably love to play that role. It'd probably be his like, dream. I've got to credit Hubby for that one. He's got, he's got an amazing mind. And he, he... he does have a, a bit of experience with gadgets with that, that chair on his show that like flips backwards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There you go, right? You'd have you'd have uh, Stanley Tucci sitting in it, and next thing you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sorry, too long, boring. <laughs> in fact, didn't Blofeld have one of them? And like, you only live twice. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you could put that in because even though he's doing it seriously, all the audience are like, oh my god, there's a chair. Yeah. <laughs> so they're laughing without it meaning to be funny, but mm. it's a reference. And, and for M, she, this was the other person that I thought, okay, who do I really admire? And I thought Queen Victoria, but now as I'm talking through it, I mean, she wouldn't be the queen with her crown on and her, her regalia because that would just be so out of place. I know you said I can go as, out there as I want, but now I think that would be one step too far for the movie. So maybe so, even someone- Wait, like sorry, were you you're gonna say Queen Victoria herself to play M? Well, initially when I thought about it, yes, uh, then as as this has progressed into something serious in my head I've changed that because it just it just undermines the whole thing um, and I realize it can't just be about who you admire because they might not necessarily fit the only dinner party guests I've got in this movie are Graham Norton and, Al- and Robert De Niro but M would probably be someone like Glenn Close who has got a cold side to her or Helen Mirren who is you know softer than Judy Dench but maybe someone like Glenn Close, because she's got the whole slight bunny bother thing going on. But she's, you know, you don't mess with her either, even though she's a goodie. Well, Cruella Deville herself. 
Well, exactly. So, yeah, I think that would go with the, the grittiness of it. That You've hit on something there that I think, how has that been missed I know. <laughs> in real life? Yeah. And and actually, same with Helen Mirren, because you've got Judy Dench, but Helen Mirren, Glenn Close, um, especially Glenn Close, as you said, they've got that that slightly evil side. You know, she's played the, the bunny boy there in Cruella de Vil. So if you are going to do an all-together darker, bleaker bond, then even your goodies have an element of darkness to them. You know, every goodie will have a shadow. Like I said to you, when Bond goes back home and is his best friend is this huge big tiger that he's got, this Maine Coon, and he shuts the world out. It's probably the same with the rest of the goodies. They go back and they've got to live with their secrets and their skeletons in their closet, even though they are doing good. Um, you know, they've, they've come to the right side of the cause, but they've definitely seen a few things. Yeah, I love that aspect of your film is you really like laid out really nicely. Bond has his demons, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, again, that comes from, like I said, my side of me that has, that, that's really into that, that kind of stuff. And, and I'm very much a wannabe psychologist. I love human emotion. Um, it, to me, the most fascinating thing in the world. So that's why I'd rather watch a film that is, nothing happens in terms of action, but it is just raw emotion. Like art house movies and independent movies. And it's, it's all about character and development. So I think that's why that comes out in these characters that I've picked because they're not all shiny and glossy mm -hmm. and yo chick the way I'm driving this car around a bend <laughs> an hour. It's it's more about who they are. These actors, I think they would be so up for it if mm -hmm. you can if you can get David Lynch involved as well. David Lynch's characters are like that, like you say. Yeah. If he can be involved somehow, maybe in the writing process, Absolutely. then I think we're on to a winner. Yeah, because I love, I love David Lynch and as a late teen, early 20, uh, in my early 20s, and that, those kind of movies and books were all I devoured. But yeah, I think almost like when Batman went dark, I mean, Michael Keaton is amazing and he'll always be my favourite Batman. But when you went to the Christian Bale side, who, you know, it's, I loved it when Batman got quite dark and it really, they took that, that approach a little bit as well. And it worked, it's like Batman grew up. So I kind of want Bond to grow up. Stop chasing all the honeys all the time, right? <laughs> and just save the world. <laughs> I'm disappointed that Queen Victoria is not going to be in it. But... <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm kind of the jury's out on that one. Yeah. Well, I, my fantasy one, she probably would be. Maybe it's Glenn Close, but with... A cameo, maybe. Or maybe Queen Victoria could play Money Penny. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe she is the figure that no one knows whether they are actually real or a figment of Bond's imagination. <laughs> ah, um, that's, that's very David Lynch, isn't it? Yes, because, you know, the whole nation, the whole world expected her to fail at the age of 16 or whatever when she became queen. She had the burden of the world on her shoulders. And at that age, she was strong enough to become queen and ruled for so long and made, you know, the UK a much better place in England. Uh, and, and, you know, she was a romantic, but she, she also dealt with the problems she had with Albert. So she was a strong person. Mm. Plus, if, if she's playing Moneypenny, there's so many opportunities for her to say, one is not amused. Well, exactly. <laughs> and she's as British as you get. 
you know so so actually in a way this is a mixture of people mm -hmm. i admire but yet people who actually make the mm -hmm. film come to life as well after albert as well she dressed in a lot of black so she's already got the costume for your film as well here's a little fact you probably don't know about her she was in mourning for so long which is when mourning jewelry came about that every day after he died for the 20 30 years his whole bed, everything was untouched. So the glass that he had to have his last pills was still there. The bedpan would still get emptied out and put there every day. His clothes were still laid out for him. She literally froze his memory as it was and was in mourning until the day she died. So that lady knows matters of the heart. Mm. And yes, she was, yeah. In, in the black and everything. The, the car that he would have, I did think about the cars I've driven on road trip, mm -hmm. uh, but I love this. I love the Mercedes Gullwing, but it would be the 1955 Gullwing. So, you know, you guys know the Gullwing, don't you? Yeah. It's the one with the car, the, the doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1955. I don't know if it's ever been used in a Bond film, if it has my bad, but you can see that in this Sin City style. One more little aspect to go with that, which is away from the cinematic side, it's the theme song for Bond. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. One of my favorite songs is Whiskey in the Jar. I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. And every time I hear the opening lines of Whiskey in the Jar, I think, man, he should be singing that. He needs to cover that because it's just made for his voice. If he did do that, it would be a um, heavier, a darker, a more, uh, ethereal version of it almost stripped back almost so that would definitely be on the soundtrack but i'd have people like nine inch nails again very david lynch mm -hmm. nine inch nails people like that would be doing the heavy stuff uh and some of the people from the, the cure even but then you'd have people like sarah mclaughlin or tori amos or big runga who do the almost angelic ethereal so yeah the music will be of two extremes yeah sounds like it Almost like angelic and demonic, you know, nothing in between. A bit like the characters. Mm -hmm. I love Tori Amos. I think that's a great show. She is my number one female uh, artist. I'm, uh, again, the sound, if you ever had a soundtrack to your soul, she is a soundtrack to my soul. I listen to some of her music and I'm taken back 400 years and I'm walking through a forest. And Nine Inch Nails as well. They've done some film soundtracks. I know like Trent Reznor has done some film soundtracks before yeah, and they're yeah. always exactly as you've described them, you know, really. Um, he's done loads and he's done yeah. uh, Natural Born Killers and mm. loads of stuff. And, and when I was a, a, a moody teen, uh, my obsession was Nine Inch Nails. Okay, so are we, are we pinning down Nine Inch Nails for this, the, the theme song? Why not? Yeah, let's let's have yeah, let's have Trent Reznor do the theme song, hundred percent. But then Bruce has got to do Whiskey in the Jar on the soundtrack. I knew you loved Springsteen. Absolutely, I've seen him seven times. I'm getting withdrawal symptoms now. I think it'll be a while before I see him again. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite a movie that's shaping up. That is, it's huge. I love that. Like, I would that that was totally from out of the blue. That Sin City Frank Miller vibe. I think mm -hmm. that's brilliant. Thank you. Hey, listen, if this comes out as a movie, right, I'm coming after you guys. <laughs> I'll write this right now. Well, maybe that's a good point, Fraser. Can you run us through from top to bottom the film that Rue's laid out for us? I will, and I will with pleasure. Rue Irvin, yes. star of Antiques Road Trip. Guilty as charged. Your Bond movie is as follows. 
As Bond himself, you have Joel Kinnaman, the anti-hero. As uh, Bond's mentor type figure, you're going to have Robert De Niro. If we're having any kind of love story, we might have someone like Monica Bellucci. Bond's companion in this story is his Russian Maine Coon cat. Yeah. Potentially called Augustus or some other Roman emperor name, something yeah, like that. Absolutely. The villain in the film, or the main villain at least, is going to be played by Stanley Tucci. Yep. Starting off friendly, but perhaps turning a bit mean as it goes on. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have an all-star cast as his henchmen of Tim Roth, Gary Oldman, and Christopher Walken. The director is going to be Frank Miller, inspired Mm -hmm. by his Sin City films. We're going to have Graham Norton as Q. (laughs) And as M, we are going to have either Glenn Close or Helen Mirren. I would dare on the side of Glenn Close. Go for Glenn Close, yeah. Go for Glenn Close, perfect. But with honourable mention to Queen Victoria, uh, she could she could have fit into that role as well if she if she was up for it. <laughs> and Bond is going to be driving a Mercedes Gullwing from 1955. Theme song is going to be performed by Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. and somewhere in there, there's also going to be a version of Whiskey in the Jar sung by the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen. There is one more question that I've got for you, and I've deliberately not prepared you for this. What do you think the title of your Bond film is going to be? Oh, that's good that you haven't prepared me. Oh, God. Oh, I rarely get stumped by a question. (laughs) You know, because the more we've talked about it, the more I'm thinking, wow, this sounds good. That title has got even more weight to it now. Yeah. I can't just reel something off. While you were talking through the movie, I had a few thoughts for a name. One I think you might like. Some I think I know you're going to hate. <laughs> One, please do. Give me some ideas. Because you've said it, you know, it's inspired by, you know, the world of crime, of, of film noir, um, Frank Miller, and that side of things. I thought Bond inspired, you could call it Dr. Noir. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. And I also thought, based on the inspired casting of Queen Victoria, you could go for Casino Royality. Oh, <laughs> you're good. You weren't just sitting there listening. You were working at the same time, weren't you? Yeah. I've got, I've got more Queen Victoria puns if you want them. Oh my goodness. Go for it. Hit me with them. One only lives twice. <laughs> <laughs> On her own secret service. They're brilliant. That's the Thinking of the cat, the cat reference, it could be you only live nine times. <laughs> <laughs> He just turns them out. He's just like, he's like a factory of puns. It's brilliant. I love that. Dr. Noir is very cool. Perfect. Well, Ruth, thank you so much um, for coming on. Thank you. I have to say, I loved it far more than I thought. When you first said, look, would you come on and do this? I thought, I love doing podcasts, but I thought, I don't watch Bond, but I thought, just run with it. But as you said, build your fantasy Bond. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how out there it is. And I thought, okay, that's a good starting point. And I have to say, I've loved doing it. I, I really want to watch that movie now. It's going to happen. It's a, it sounds like a great movie, but it also feels like, it feels like your movie. It feels like it's a little piece of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, that's, that's what I was hoping. And I, it definitely is my heart in there 100% and my loves and my likes and things. So uh, thank you. That means a lot. I really enjoyed it. You guys have been amazing. Is there anything you've got coming up that you want to let us know about? Probably nothing I can talk about yet. There are 
hopefully a few things in the pipeline. As you know, one of, probably one of the most productive things I did during this year of lockdown was get myself an amazing agent. But at the moment, I'm, I've got some more bargain hunts coming up, which I'm filming, more antique throw trip next year. Um, I'm going to, now we're in lockdown three or whatever it might be. I'm going to get back to my radio ruse. I'm going to get back to my podcast. So I'm going to put a lot more content out there like you guys are doing an amazing job of doing so. And of course, for Craig and Antiques. <laughs> Thanks again, Ru, for coming onto the podcast. It's been such an absolute pleasure to have you on. You've been oh, a great welcome. guest. It's been great to get this little insight into your minds. And we're looking Perfect. forward to loads of great stuff coming from you in 2021. Thank you. Thank you. Well, listen, I've loved both of your company and your puns were just the highlight for me. Sorry, Fraser. <laughs> no, he's, you're right. He's, he's on it. Uh, where can we hear Radio Roo? I've given Radio Roo a bit of a break uh, the last month or two. Things got hectic again through filming, but it's on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so I'm going to start doing that again, probably more sporadic, but it will be on my Twitter and Facebook account. Uh, Twitter, anyone can... can uh, uh, add me on there under Rue Irvin so anyone can access that and podcasts I've only got a small handful on ruecasting.com but I'm determined to do more and actually I had I got my first radio gig I suppose as a reviewer on Radio Scotland recently uh, reviewing some tv and movies brilliant well thanks again Rue it's been a total pleasure to see you again and to to, to hear your picks for your Bond movies my pleasure you guys take care stay safe big love Right, well, that was an interesting one. Wow, yeah, that was a Rue film, and she described it kind of so perfectly. Joel Kinnaman, I kind of thought, mm, a little bit ropey, but she talked me into it, and then I think the rest of the choices were spot on. Yeah, and the same with Joel Kinnaman, the way she described some of her, some of his other roles, and then as she went on to, to pull together that amazing cast with that director and, and the way she so vividly described the kind of style of it brilliant and that cat the cat yes forget about the cast what about the cat that's something i've never really considered that it would be cool if james bond had like a an animal companion yeah we never picked when we were picking the, the five what we felt were the five key components of a bond film we didn't even mention bond's pet no what other pets could he have it wouldn't really work with a dog would it a dog would be too friendly no. and excited you know i'd never thought about it but when she described uh, Bond as a, as a cat owner. I, I did see it because, you know, cats kind of solitary. They like to spend time by themselves. They... And he fell in love with Pussy Galore. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Stanley Tucci, uh, alongside all these other henchmen, I think that, that sort of syndicate as aspect of it that was really cool. Yeah, it felt almost like, a, like a, an old school like crime film. You know, there was these, all these old guys who've, who've been through the wars. And a pretty cool car as well that... 55 going yes yeah i mean i know Rue from from antiques road trip has had a lot of experience in really nice classic cars so i'm not surprised she picked a really nice one would you watch that film it'll come as no surprise to people who listen to the podcast and were listening to our reactions i would definitely see that film me too it's got me intrigued it's got me thirsty for this film you see the poster and joe kinnaman's on it might not be the biggest draw, but I think, you know, with all, with all that backup cast and with the, the Frank Miller influence, I think, yeah, you've got to see this. I'm a bit disappointed that uh, Rue wasn't a fan of some of my titles. Yes, I was a fan of Doctor Noir. I think she liked that yes. one. Yeah. Um, but not so much on the, uh, 
the other ones. The Queen Victoria puns didn't land, and that's fair. They were a laugh. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of titles, uh-huh. how did you get on with your trivia question? Honestly, not very well. I, as I mentioned, I haven't read a lot of the books. I, the only reason I may have got one is because of a clue that you gave me. Mm-hmm. The clue you gave me was what was going to be Timothy Dalton's third film. Right. I think the film was based on an Ian Fleming story called The Property of a Lady or something like that. You've got it right. That's is that right? spot on, yeah. I do, and I'm, I'm glad I got that because I, have no, I don't even have a clue about any of the other ones. Well done. The other three were Riziko. What? Riziko. <laughs> don't know what it means. I've never read it. Yeah, I can uh, see why they haven't used that one yet. The Hildebrand Rarity. I have heard of that before. And the last one is probably not going to work as a film title, but okay. it's called 007 in New York. <laughs> Lost in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I think they already made that into a film with Macaulay Culkin. There we go. That was, uh, that was uh, quite a wonderful episode, I think. It was amazing. Exactly what we want is for people to put their own stamp on James Bond, and that's exactly what Rue did. She was a wonderful guest, and we're, we're so pleased with her choices. But I think there'll be a lot of people listening thinking this film has to be made. Let us know what you thought about it. Build a Bond 007. That's on Instagram and Twitter. And now I just can't wait to hear what more people have to say. I know there's going to be plenty more great ones like that. So I'm looking forward to next week and I look forward to seeing you then, Fraser. Thanks, mate.